Welcome to Gray Maybe, a limited series podcast and social experiment based on the topic of abortion. My name is Jillian Schmitz. I'm a professional dancer, actor, teacher, author, artist, and cat lover. Through my own personal journey of recovery, I found that things aren't just black or white, or a simple yes or no. For me, in my recovery, there has been mostly gray area and a lot of maybes. In most of my stories, you can find the gray maybe. I'll be sharing my own process through personal stories, interviews, and hopefully stories of others in an effort to help lessen the stigma and shame of abortion. If you'd like me to read your story on this podcast, anonymous or otherwise, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Before we get started, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to catch future episodes of Gray Maybe. A note before we begin. While the topic of abortion and my belief in it being easy and accessible to all people who can become pregnant is a comfortable topic for me, sharing my own personal stories is not. I have a justifiable amount of fear of possible hostility and violence, both in person and or online. I also anticipate the possibility of judgment ranging from my own family members to strangers, in addition to the potentiality of losing certain work opportunities for publicizing my own experiences. I'm telling my story through the lens of my own experience. The revelation of my process is mine to tell. If you disagree with me or my views or story, know that I'm not speaking on anything other than my own experiences and viewpoints. Take what you like and leave the rest. Any feelings my story activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism you have based on my experience and choices are yours, and they're not my burden to carry. Welcome back, everyone. I've had a few friends and acquaintances tell me that they're in the process of writing their stories for me to share, but so far, in the three weeks this podcast has been alive, I've only received one story by Alexia Knight. I read Alexia's abortion story in episode three, and if you haven't already, I encourage you to give it a listen. While I wait for any possible stories to come in, I decided to bring on licensed psychotherapist, LMFT, and good friend of mine, Jada Ellingham. Jada has always had a talent for helping me get to the bottom of a feeling, without judgment. As my good friend, she helped aid in the process of this podcast, and I wanted her to share her expertise in how she approaches therapy in her practice, specifically how she helps clients work with anxiety and trauma. Basically, if you suffered from any of the things I did in my first two stories, Jada and I talk in this episode a little about how to navigate those feelings. I also want listeners to get to know myself a little more and also get to know Jada, because I will be bringing her back for another episode focused more on her expertise. So, this episode is more conversational between the two of us. If you have questions you'd like me to ask Jada in upcoming episodes, anonymous or otherwise, please email them to graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R ies at gmail.com. Okay, so I have Jada Ellingham with me today. And uh, Jada is a friend of mine, personally. She also happens to be what I consider an expert 
In fact, um, I tell everyone I know I introduce her in conversation or in person as my friend with the master's in psychology. And actually, I'm, that may not even be true. That may just be <laughs> the, <laughs> the label I've given her, but people respect what I say and they believe me when I say it. So um, I'm going to let Jada give her official titles, um, you know, in addition to her professional titles. She has probably some other titles. Um, but without further ado, Jada Ellingham, will you just give me your titles? Yes. Uh, okay. I am a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. Uh, that title seems a little deceiving to people because it, it, it implies that I only work with families and couples, right? Um, but my background is in clinical psychology. I have a master's from Pepperdine University. Um, and I have my hours, obviously, and now I work in private practice. So I, what that means is in practicum, you do 3000 hours of, um, in-person face-to-face, uh, with clients, and then you go to do a law and ethics exam and then a clinical exam and I passed. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. And then I get the title of licensed marriage and family therapist, um, Another title that you might hear is a licensed psychotherapist or a licensed You have psycho. that title. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're a licensed psycho. Totally licensed. And that's pretty special. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm unaccreditedly a licensed <laughs> psycho. Um, okay. Also, since you just brought up the hours, I want to talk a little bit about that because um, a majority of my therapy that I've gone to has been from people who are getting their hours like mm-hmm. you were. And um, the thing that people, I think... This could just be what I think think people think, which is not a great way to go through life, um, by the way. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I feel like sometimes people think that, oh, I'm going to someone who's getting their hours. They're not as good or they're not prepared or they're not I, – I, 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 people don't trust them as mm-hmm. much. But what I found was it was much more affordable to go to someone who's doing their mm-hmm. hours because of a lot of the – uh, the programs that they're doing, they're not allowed because they're unlicensed yet. They're not allowed to charge certain rates. So a mm-hmm. lot of times it's either, I don't know if donations are the right word, but it's like a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. And so that can be super beneficial for people who really need to talk to someone to find someone who is well within their budget. On top of that, uh, one thing that I think people makes them uncomfortable is that they are being oftentimes watched by a their superior via a camera or something like that. It's not like in your face, like you're being interviewed. But there is a uh, tier of supervisors or mm-hmm. a supervisor that is overlooking all of these sessions to make sure that that person is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Which is so, fantastic, right? Yes, because I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get the person that I could never mm-hmm. afford, right? Yeah. The person who's at the top of the top that mm-hmm. would charge maybe upwards of like hundreds of th- hundreds of dollars an hour for their personal clients mm-hmm. possibly and I'm getting them watching this person right. and it, they're in their ears saying hey I need you to follow up with this hey let's mm-hmm. try this hey ask them that you know so I found it to be um some of the best therapy that I had mm-hmm. ha- I have had um and so I just wanted to say so you did all those hours and yeah. so that's a a huge time commitment so say again how many hours did you do three thousand so three three thousand, yeah, three thousand under direct super, supervision. Um, okay, so I remember when you were going through these hours, and I just remember when you say three thousand hours, it's like yeah, three thousand hours. But I remember years of you mm-hmm. being like, I'm at 
500 hours. I'm at 750 hours. It was like, I, I got so sick of hearing that you weren't at 3,000 hours yet, and I was not you. Yeah. I didn't put in those hours. So I just wanted to highlight that because it's, it's a big deal. Um, and I just need people to know that if they didn't already know that. Okay. Well, so. I, I think it, I think it speaks to process, right? Which mm-hmm. I think that this is what we're going to talk about today is how important it, it is to not forget the process. Mm-hmm. Cause oftentimes most people are looking at the content, right? So we're talking about, you know, I'm a licensed LMFT or I'm a licensed psychologist or I'm a licensed P you know, license LCSW, all those are titles, but there's a process that goes down to get to that point. Um, And therapy is process-based, right? It's not agenda-based, it's process-based. It's really helping um, people come to their own process. I like that. Um, Yeah, and let's put a bookmark in that. Um, Sorry, I jumped. You don't even know who I am. No. (laughs) making notes who cares i'm about to tell them i'm about to tell them so uh in addition um to this you are a mother mm-hmm. of two. yes you're a mother to two and um and you had a career before this which is how i know you and mm-hmm. the interesting thing about or yeah so this is you know this episode in the podcast is following the second my second abortion story and I met you when I was still bleeding from that abortion story. And the reason I'm even saying like make it, you know, being very like blunt about bleeding yeah. after an abortion story is because and not to be salacious, although I am not to be provocative, although I am not to be bold, although I hope wait, I am. Wait, wait, was I was I one of those skinny bitches that you were looking at? No, that was the oh. first that was the first story. <laughs> That was the first story, Jada. This okay, is the but, second story. Okay, sorry. Try to keep try to keep them all together. I know it's a lot. Um, so, uh, but you were skinny. You're you're still skinny. You're just a skinny person, a tall skinny person. Um, so, we, I met you when I was still bleeding from the second abortion, and I say that because I think so often, and I've already gotten some feedback from a lot of people who have listened to the podcast who said, I wish people would have told me more about what to expect in these procedures. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's a couple of different procedures. I'm not going to get too into the actual medical stuff of it because I'm not an expert. I haven't talked to an expert. I haven't even done a Google and gotten some specifics. But I can say the three that I know of is being anesthetized, however I say that word, being put under, right, to have the surgical procedure. There's being um, awake and having the surgical procedure, which is in my second abortion story. So I've had one and I've had two. The mm-hmm. third one is taking the abortion pill, which mm-hmm. I also have friends who have done. And uh, all three of those procedures, everybody was told a very basic blanket idea of what those were going to be, but mm-hmm. they didn't get a lot of details. Mm-hmm. And this may have been women giving them Mm-hmm. that information, which is kind of a double assault, that there wasn't a woman in these scenarios that could have said, look, this doesn't happen to everyone, but you may experience, mm-hmm. or look, sometimes this can happen, or look, be prepared that this shit is going to hurt worse than you've ever fucking mm-hmm. felt before, right? Mm-hmm. None of that. And in, in whatever doctor term, oh, you might feel some pressure. That is not the same mm-hmm. as what a lot of us have experienced. You might have some discomfort. Okay, that is just not the same. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, um, 
so I say that I was still bleeding when I met you because there is a whole recovery process after an abortion. You bleed for a while. It can be quite a, a, you know, like a week, two weeks, somewhere in there. Again, I need to look up on my facts again, but that's about what happened. And you're not allowed to submerge yourself in water. So you're not allowed to take a bath. You're not allowed to go swimming. Um, and you and I met on a job in the Bahamas. Oh, wow. Where where we couldn't, I, I couldn't go in the pool. I couldn't go mm-hmm. in the ocean. And, uh, you know, uh, that was lame, but that is what it is. And so I say these things in case, in case the rare opportunity that a man might be listening mm-hmm. so that they kind of know a little bit extra if they haven't been through that, if they don't know the details, that this procedure that women, that is so common, that so many women go through, there's so many extra things about it that no one really mm-hmm. talks about or that no one really might even know if they haven't been in it uh, themselves. So the interesting thing is I met you on this job quickly following that, that um, experience. And you and I knew of each other, but we didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. And we were put in a room, roommate mm-hmm. situation. And we uh, both tried company. to barter. So we, we both tried to barter. <laughs> and what she's talking about is, Oh, there was one. Ba- so first of all, we don't know each other. We know of each other. We don't know each other. And they put us in a room together. And as you get older in this dance profession, because we're professional dancers, you learn that you like have to put in a request of who you want to stay with or you like kind of make it known. And neither of us kind of knew to do that. So we just got put together. Right. Which is divine and intervention. Both of us are like, OK, I guess it's, it was divine. And so we're both <laughs> like in this room and it's got one bed and we don't know each other like that. And it's we're like, I was like, I will sleep on the floor. And she's like, no, no, I will sleep on the floor. And I was like, no, no, I will sleep on the floor. And we did get like a rollaway bed or whatever. But I did take the rollaway bed because I'm more stubborn than she is. Um, and I'm, I was willing and still are willing to martyr myself more than her. Um, so that's how we met. We were on this job together. And it was very quickly we became very close, mm-hmm. very, very close. Um, we had a lot in common in the way we saw the world. We had a lot in common in um, our purpose and our ideas. Um, even when I first met you, you were already trying to exit from dance and you didn't, you hadn't. Oh, I was thinking on. you were already trying to exit from a relationship. I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm not tell your business like that. <laughs> no, that, that actually, if that's what you were thinking that you didn't, you never told me that. I did know that you were searching for something deeper, something that you felt was going to be more purposeful. Um, and you didn't know what that was yet. You were kind of figuring it out. And, you know, later on it became what it became. And then you went back to school or went to school because you didn't go to school, right? You went right into a profession in dance. Yeah. No, I didn't did go, you to go to college before. No, no. We both you and I both graduated and then we entered mm-hmm. the professional dance arena, essentially. Yeah give or take. Um, so you went back to school and not only did you just go back to school, you went to get a master's, which is like, I don't know how many years. And you had kids during, you had a kid, mm-hmm. right? At least one. I had Hayden during, uh, during the uh, whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know how many lifetimes it would take me to do something like that. And that's even if I wanted to, but you know, hats off to you. You got it. Let's, let's done. go back to you process, did it. right? So it's process, Julie. Yeah. I don't like you don't process. want to jump. I, yeah, you do. You're good at it. You're good at it. That's that's what makes your podcast great. It's based in process. 
Well, that could be debatable, but I will take the compliment. Thank you. Jada thinks my podcast is great and she has a master's. So anybody who doesn't <laughs> think it's great, I already have one, uh, one, uh, one person with credentials saying it's great. Well, remember, um, we're not, we're not taking wanna... ownership over other people's experiences anymore. Yes, that's true. I'm working on that. Um, and I encourage any listener as well to uh, not take uh, responsibility over other people's um, feelings and reactions. Uh, one thing I want to slip in, uh, and I'm going to make a note because I want to come back to that. Um, you, oh, quickly when we became friends, when I was still bleeding from the abortion I had just had, <laughs> You were a safe person for me to tell that to. Mm -hmm. It was very quickly into us uh, talking, you know, in our little roommate situation that I uh, divulged that that information to you. And so you were a safe person to tell that information to. And I think um, that has, that has, it's part of who you are. And it's also been part of why I think you are so effective as a friend and therapist um, because you you just embody this kind of non-judgmental you know um, uh, uh, you know safe you can tell me I'm not gonna you know have a reaction I'm not gonna judge you just you know even when I've told you things that I know you have a feeling about good bad or indifferent I see you like hold it together you know I see you pull it pull it together to, you know, be that, be the thing that, that is, you know, not being swayed one way or the other. So I wanted to discuss that because I mentioned that a lot in the, um, what a safe person looks like in Mm -hmm. or is, or I talk about it in the second story. So in the first story, I talk a little bit about past and PTSD and you and I had a conversation a week ago about past and PTSD. And I said to you, I said, Pass post, which is post-abortion stress syndrome. I said pass is not in the DSM for any kind of an issue, but PTSD is. And you mentioned that just because it's not in there doesn't mean that there isn't some kind of validity to it. And you mm-hmm. likened it to something that I, A, didn't know about. So I was glad mm-hmm. you told me about it. And it made me happy that that was being recognized. And then it made me a little mad so I want you to you remember that conversation we had Mm -hmm. right okay so pass is not the in the DSM but what is in the DSM PTSD but the other thing that is in the DSM is um uh gender dysphoria disorder right okay and what is what would be that well it's it's somebody who is um not cis gender who identifies maybe on the continuum of non-conforming or trans, male to female, female to male, right, or non-binary. And um, oftentimes, if you're seeing clients who identify not in the binary, right, not male nor female, um, they will get a diagnosis, right? They'll get the gender dysphoria disorder diagnosis because they are being impacted by society so it's not a thing of like it's a disorder there's something there's wrong, something wrong with, with me yeah right. right it's that society there's something wrong with society and you'll hear the argument well it's a, it's a disorder right so there's something wrong with them but the dsm really defines it as what is wrong with society and, and how how that impacts their internal system right and so past would be kind of probably similar in a way right 
PTSD is really something something that happened to you, right? It was outside your control, and it, in within that diagnosis, there's a cluster of symptoms. So past would also have a cluster of symptoms, right? So therapists are, you know, well, the way I work, I can't speak for, for all therapists, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't work pathology-based, right? I simply, I have to sometimes give people diagnoses if they want to get reimbursed by their insurance, right? Because that's the way our system works. But I'm less uh, attached to a diagnosis as I am looking at symptoms, right? I'm looking at the cluster of symptoms that are presenting, right? So pass is because, you know, I had this abortion, right? Uh, maybe the things... Uh, the people, places, and things around that abortion impacted me in a way. And now I'm trying to resolve whatever. Maybe it'd be grief. Maybe it'd be the trauma that's associated with the judgment. Uh, maybe it's my own internal experience because of my history. Um, and so, right? So that's what I'm looking at as a therapist. I'm not really, I'm not caring about the diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that gives people relief, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm mindful that like a diagnosis can give someone a sense of relief because it feels like they're being seen right but for the therapeutic process it's really about like what what symptoms are occurring what are the triggers right and how do we give space around these triggers so that we have the capacity for authentic choice i like that and um for me um although i didn't get a specific diagnosis you know in the many years following i've looked back and i was like wow that was a really traumatic event Mm-hmm. I definitely qualify for PTSD, which mm-hmm. also post-traumatic stress disorder. Like mm-hmm. you're like, but when we hear PTSD, we're not like, oh, you're a victim of something traumatic. There's something wrong with you. We're immediately like, oh, PTSD. That's like when you've had really bad. You went trauma, to war, you know? Well, no, people. Go, yeah, you oh, went to war. war. That's the first or thing we think trauma. Of. Yeah, you don't think right. uh, something. You don't think of 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 developmental trauma, right? Which is right. a you know that's not in the DSM. But it presents, developmental trauma will present as PTSD, it presents as depression, it presents as pervasive anxiety, it Mm -hmm. presents as ADD, it presents as autism, right? Mm -hmm. So again, like if I'm treating a diagnosis and what's underneath is not clear, I cannot help the person get to uh, any sort of sense of resolution, right? If I'm just looking at the diagnosis, right? So what I think is really amazing about your story is you can see how you were so attuned to your process, right? You were really like, I mean, I don't know if you, you've come to terms with that now, right? So now as you're writing your story, you're- I am I mean, right now. You're doing it for me right now. Okay, good. <laughs> no, no, go on. I don't know where I am now. No, <laughs> I've lost my training. My The process, you, yeah. you think that I was- I think that, I think that's the- point of this podcast is that you're you're really highlighting your process and there's such clarity around your process that it gives other people a voice right because in therapy that's what you're doing you're helping people identify language to their process sometimes all you're feeling is just chaos sometimes you you have this sort of hyper arousal and it it looks like shapes and colors and distortions right and we don't have a, a clear narrative around what happened to us. And so that's really what therapy is. It's a, it's a space for the client to be able to share their process 
to learn their process and create a more um, clear narrative and then self-narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that they can, they can, they can integrate, they can integrate the thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and what they want to do, do with it. Mm -hmm. Because you can't undo it. (laughs) It's there. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think what um, you have been saying for a long time and what you're saying, even in this topic is um, that it's, and what I had the hardest time wrapping my head around and why I think it took me longer to move through it than otherwise is that I really felt like what happened to me, I didn't deserve to feel post-traumatic stress because I don't know this idea that like, oh, it's something I got myself into, like this like very... And that I, that there's so much worse things that people go through or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was this idea that like somehow the trauma had to validate me, not my experience of the trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you bring up is it's like, look, you know, uh, uh, this may not have been traumatic for someone who was raised Jewish, but for someone who like me was raised Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. this could be a situation, right? Those are two mm-hmm. very different ideas about when life begins, what's right and wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like that could become very, very uh, muddy and mm-hmm. insid- insidious if you are raised in a specific religion that has a specific set of ideals. And even though mm-hmm. I was not and wouldn't consider myself then or now a um, participant in that religion, it still was so deeply ingrained in how I uh, metabolized that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm getting a small note about what is the <laughs> DSM? <laughs> Oh God! What is it? It's it's a, it's the Bible for it's psycholo- the Bible of psychology. psychology, right? Yeah, essentially, right? It's it you know it is um how many pages? A lot of pages of different diagnoses to help either guide treatment or get reimbursed by insurance, right? And a lot of people really um they either you love it or you hate it, right? And I am one of those people that I'm, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I'm just a fan. Sorry to the board, right? But I'm, I'm not a fan of it because <laughs> it becomes so much of somebody's identity, right? And what I have to do in my work is help people diffuse from some of these sticky ideas, right? So we're talking about you saying, okay, yeah, I understand that I come from a Roman Catholic background and there was a lot of... Um, messages that were sent to me, whether they were overt or covert, right? Messages and family rules about what was okay and what was not okay, right? And if I were your therapist, I'm not, I'm your friend, right? It's, I would be mm-hmm. helping you diffuse from some of these to understand what's, what's really, what are we fighting here, right? So I liken it to, um, the, well, I don't, so I use acceptance commitment therapy, which is like a, a, a type of uh, third wave CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Um, it is more mindfulness based. It's more process based and it's very much values based. So one of the um, metaphors that they use is this sort of bus, right? That there's all these these parts on the bus. And and we are not fighting these parts. We're not fighting guilt and we're not fighting anxiety and we're not fighting, right? We're not fighting these beliefs, these memories because they're there to stay. And most people don't really like that. 
they're, they're almost like, though, I'm going to get rid of my anxiety and I'm going to get rid of my guilt. And that is not therapy. Therapy is not to get I'll rid tell of you these. Right now, Jada, if I could yes. pay someone to get rid of that stuff, like if I could be put out, wake up mm-hmm. and it's gone, I would, I would pay so much money for that. Well, I that's am, the intention of pharmaceuticals, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I, I'm that person who's like, I just want to get rid of it. But I do agree with you. It's not going anywhere. No. And I am like the type of therapy I have been involved with is the type you are explaining. Mm-hmm. And the DSM kind of gives these guidelines for people if they're looking for a diagnosis or if they need a diagnosis. And just because it's not in there doesn't mean it doesn't exist mm-hmm. yet because they do change over time and space mm-hmm. based on data. Um and just because it's in there doesn't mean that that's all you are and that that's you're relegated to that label and that that's just you're just, you know, I guess you're relegated to, to meds and whatever. Or, you mm-hmm. know, I think that's what you're trying to say, too. Yeah, you, you have the capacity for choice. Co- mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Doesn't that speak yeah. to what we're really talking about? Oh, choice. Oh, choice. A lot of choice. I hope to keep choice. I would like choice, please. Uh, choice is freedom. Well, um, but, but do we have, right? Like, so we're talking about choice and we want to embolden people to have the real capacity for choice, right? Not mm-hmm. not choice predicated on their histories or predicated on their current circumstances or the government system, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Choice is coming from one's internal process to be so right. so aware of it and be able to regulate when triggered. Mm-hmm. Enough to give the capacity for space to choose in the direction of their values. That is very acty, right? Yeah. It's that I can accept my present moment. So here comes guilt on this bus. Mm-hmm. And guilt most is my number one. Yeah, yeah. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. And they're on your bus. Yeah, they're on your bus. They're right? not just on a- my bus. They're usually driving the bus. <laughs> Well, and so that, that's what I mean. So, so that you are now looking at this bus and here you are, the core sense of self is driving it. But, but on your lap, sitting on your lap, fighting you is, you're fighting it too. Guilt and shame, right? These are the punishers. They're there for a reason. They're there to protect you, right? We want to make friends with them. Thank you. <laughs> now, we're, now we're sounding crazy, but thank you, guilt. Thank you, shame, right? You can stay on this bus but you're not, you're not going to drive it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to know when guilt and shame are driving the bus versus I'm gonna your try that. course and self. Yeah. I'm not supposed to take your advice as therapy since you're my friend, but I am going to try that um, from now on as much as I can. Um, I think that uh, I think that's a really good point. And I can see where for me, uh, so many things that I have felt guilt or shame or fear about, have not been in regards to my own values. They have been in regards to the values of other people. Um, And I don't know if people would think that that's kind of my MO by knowing me or like outwardly, Mm -hmm. but that really is the truth. Like I often wonder the things that I would have been able to do had I not had so, had I not been so conflicted about what my values were and what other people's values were. And what really meant something to me and what meant something to other people and how mm-hmm. I actually felt about it and what other people felt about it. Um, so I think that's like a really important point in case that that's, speaks to anybody. Well, let's let's talk about that, right? Because <laughs> I, 
I have something that just, that just came up uh, for me in hearing that, right? So this is where we talk about emotional boundaries, right? Because what not. you're saying- Thank you, go on. <laughs> we'll work on that, right? Uh, well, no, you, you, you are- you are learning them based on doing this podcast. This is a very heavy topic. I have to say, a few years ago when I started therapy, I did have zero. I absolutely had zero. People wouldn't know it, but I suffered and I, I, uh, there was a great deal of, um, I paid the price for that internally. Like I really did. And emotionally, I paid the price of that. Um, so I have come a very long far in emotional boundaries because I didn't even know really what that was. I just couldn't figure out why I was so affected by everything to the point of not being very functional. And so um, I, I just kept looking around and being like, everybody else is figuring this out. And I'm not, every, is everybody else feeling like I am? And how are they able to mask it? How are they doing everything so much better than me? How are they able to keep it together so much better than me? So well, boundaries, you, you, emotional You have boundaries. two choices, right? You have the choice yeah. to push it down and be depressed, or you have the choice to be anxious by it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't sound great. Those two choices. I like to right? do both, like mix it up. I know you like, like to you know, flip back and, forth and back and forth and back and forth, like <laughs> yeah. in rapid, rapid. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really disorienting. Yes, it is. Right. I would rather see you be anxious by it because I, you know, what I feel about anxiety is anxiety is moving. We can move it. Yeah. It's right. As long as it doesn't immobilize yeah. us, we can, we can move through anxiety. So I'm a big fan of anxiety. Like I'm like, anxiety can be your friend. I know no one likes this. I say this, I'm like, let's make friends with anxiety. People are like, no, we're reducing it. No, we are, we might, we might, right. But we have to learn how to regulate. We have to learn how to stomach the anxiety. We have to learn how to ride it. Right. Like a wave. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because anxiety is a natural part of living. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things to manage anxiety, which I hate that word manage, but it is, you know, in terms of therapeutic terms, we are managing anxiety, we're learning how to cope through anxiety, right, Mm -hmm. is to be able to, first of all, identify, right, so now we're coming back to it, identify what is your shit, Mm -hmm. and what is my shit, and Mm -hmm. what is our shit to combine, right, so, right, so, so, We'll use this podcast as an experience, as okay. a, as a, uh, not an experience. Well, it is an experience as an example. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so as an example, like just put this in, cause that I understood what you were saying, but let's take this podcast as an example. So before I did this mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. and it came up quickly, um, mm-hmm. how I was going to do it and how it was going to come th- through. Um, and I wasn't entirely ready for the, what it was going to be, but I was like, it's got, it's an hour never. So you helped me write the note or what I would say the warning portion that I say before the first and second story where I talk about, you know, your criticism, you know, essentially the criticisms or the opinions surrounding this is not my burden to carry. You helped me write that and you helped me figure it out because you, along with my therapist, were very concerned about how I was going to be like, I, like you guys are both a bit concerned about how I, not about other people or anything, but like how I, would I be able to, um, because I was concerned about it, separate the art and the work that I'm doing because mm-hmm. I find it artistic to write these stories and tell them and also be able to separate that from the possible uh, opinions that could come my way because we know this is a hot button issue and would I be able to protect myself emotionally in that sense or be able to separate it and so you helped me do this about how to separate those things mm-hmm. what is you were said to me a lot those other things that people are saying feeling experiencing that is 
theirs. Theirs. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Well, and, and so you are feeling about this. Yeah. And so I know you, right? Hopefully. Right. I oh, know yeah, you, you know really me well, pretty right? Well. I hope yeah. more than your therapist, but otherwise I'm jealous. You do. Anyway, I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no. Uh, but I do know there's two things. I know that you have gone through, and I know this is your story to tell, but, you know, the feeling of uh, unsafety in childhood, right? Mm-hmm. And I also know that you're a deeply empathetic person, right? I know that you have the capacity for empathy. I know that you probably have, you know, a, a, a visceral experience of what empathy looks like. It's not cognitive, right? So it's not like, I mean, you have that too, because you're, you're mature, kind of, uh, right? That you, that, that thank you, you because can- I would not- that's not a word that yourself? to describe yeah. myself. Yeah, so thank you. Well, you, you so, can so. understand the perspective of another, right? That's yes. kind of cognitive, right? Like my yeah. empathy, I can understand and I can articulate the perspective of another, whether I care or not, right? Right. Um, I can hold a space for that and I can have compassion for their story, mm-hmm. okay? That's, that's cognitive. Effective is I literally feel the other person. Mm-hmm. Like I resonate with what they're feeling. So now mm-hmm. check it, right? Trauma does the same thing in a sense. You become hypervigilant to the reactions of others, right? Because you were told on some level, I am responsible for you, mm-hmm. okay? So that's codependency, what that looks like. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. empathy, right? Somebody who is, their, their nervous system is primed a certain way, has that same capacity and it gets twisted, right? So mm-hmm. for empaths, people who have that resonance, with their environment, they really, really need those emotional boundaries, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't worry about you, Jillian. Like, I mean, let's, let's, let's. I mean, this. I use where like you guys were concerned and wanted to make sure that I had some tools or like a thought, a process. Come I just want you to have that boundary, right? Because this yeah. is gonna, you know, you are opening up a conversation um, that is going to trigger people right? Your story is going to trigger people. And what people do when they're feeling triggered, they don't tune into their process. They Mm -hmm. seek to purge it, right? Mm -hmm. So what you see by heavy reactions are the people that are purging whatever is coming up in them. And that's really hard, right? It's hard because if you have this idea that I'm responsible, Mm -hmm. there you go, you fuse to it, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, my thing was like, no, no, no. My friend will do this. She's going to share her story. And, and she, all she has to do is hold this emotional boundary. Even if she gets activated in that, that emotional boundary will protect her so that she continues sharing her story because her story is important, right? And it could potentially help others share their story or at least like be able to give them language to their own process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and as of right now, when we're, doing this and we are doing this a bit before even the second story truly has come out there has been one person who has sent a story Mm -hmm. um and I have had many many friends Mm -hmm. that I have in them saying thank you so much for your story thank you so much for you know all you know all those things I have said because I know this about a lot of people I've said I'm ready for your story when you're ready to share it or if you're ready to share it no pressure right that's how many people I know. I can't, I don't even know how many people I've said that to. I'm ready for your story. If you should ever want to tell it mm-hmm. anonymously or otherwise. 
so many people and I have gotten one. Mm-hmm. So the avoidance it's not a judgment. Can, it's an observation. Well, the, the avoidance, right? So you're, you're up against avoidance. You're up against what comes up in them as they think about that they might share their story, right? So in therapy, a lot of this would be, let's say the, that one person or some of those people I would see, right? And they're like, you know, Jada, Jillian has this podcast that really inspired me, you know, and, and I really want to share my story, right? I'd be saying, okay, let's do it, right? And they're like, yeah, and, and then I start noticing what's happening in the present moment. They start to, like, shift their body or they start to, like, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you, you know, lose sight. They start to change the subject, whatever. I'm going to be like, Tell oh, a joke. That's what I like to do. Whatever. Yeah, humor, yeah. whatever, right? All of these are signs of avoidance. And that's what a therapist does, right? They look for avoidance. You're not actively looking for avoidance. You might fuse this idea that like, I did this podcast and people aren't coming and telling their stories. That has to do with me, right? So there's that boundary again, the emotional boundary. It's not my shit. Yeah, no. And I don't blame anybody. I want to be really clear. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. These are the last stories I wanted to tell publicly. Mm-hmm. As you said on the phone a couple of days ago, you said, well, you've been kind of, you know, slowly exposing yourself over the years mm-hmm. of like, you know, the last few years of like letting it. little bits. Yeah. Little, little bits, little bits of your truth out here and there. You've kind mm-hmm. of like tested the waters over and over again. But for some reason, these two stories were the last stories I wanted to tell. They were the absolute last and I didn't want to tell them. They were not stories I felt comfortable telling. They uh, I'm still like uh, yesterday I went out and it's um, only been, you know, like, huh, like maybe 48 hours since the first episode. Um, I, I released the first episode and I was a little concerned. I was like, oh, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to see people face to face and what they might mm-hmm. say to me. Not that it would be bad or like anything like that. But I was just like, oh, I kind of have to prepare myself that like I just, you know, as a dancer, I'm used to being in live shows of real time mm-hmm. of gauging what's happening. It's mm-hmm. not an art for the most part that you just kind of put out and then you forget that you put it out or you don't have to kind of like reap the immediate benefits of for the Mm -hmm. most part, especially if you've done a lot of live work. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is different because I'm like, it's just out there and I've done things that have been out there, but this is so uh, naked. It is so naked Mm -hmm. uh, or feels so naked and they are the last stories I want to tell. So I get it when people don't want to tell them and I get if they need to not tell them. Um, but it, the interesting thing is, is that for so many people I know that have these stories and so many people who have hit me up saying, thank you so much, there's one story that was sent to me. Mm-hmm. So the balance of who's willing to talk about it and who's experienced it is mm-hmm. so off. Well, well look at that. Such, this is why we politically so have polarization. Well, we've got the polarization of, right? choice, anti-choice, pro-choice, you know, pro-life, whatever, because no one tells their stories. No one connects yeah. really anymore, right? We have a yeah. lot of influencing we, and a little substance, right? And, and I th- I'm going to bring it back. This is why your story is going to trigger because it is so process-based. And I have a theory that I've okay. been thinking lately, and I'm not sure. We'll see how it pans out. But I was actually like, I was very concerned about the misogyny that would come my way Mm -hmm. because I am not, uh, I am, I certainly am not immune to it on social media. Mm -hmm. And often when I post something that is highly uh, feminist Mm -hmm. or um, 
ask for accountability, um, I get quite a bit of misogyny. Um, I get, you know, basic blanket misogyny just in the photos I post sometimes, but then I will get some very interesting uh, direct messages when I post things that are like this person, you know, like, like memes and stuff that are more like heavily feminist based or calling Mm -hmm. men out, not even calling men out in an attacking way, but in a, we want to hold you accountable way. Mm -hmm. That is really triggers some people to then inbox me and be like, Oh, well, this is, I don't understand that. This is, you know, they want to have a, uh, it's not really a conversation because I don't believe it's necessarily in good faith. Mm -hmm. Um, it is a purge, right? But the podcast has been up for over 48 hours it's been enough time for some dudes Mm -hmm. to listen or get in on it. And I have not yet knocking on wood. I have no idea what's about to happen. I haven't gotten any of that. And I have a slight theory about that. I think that when like you, what you're saying, when it's not personal, when you don't know someone specific story, you can put them in a box of, this is what's right or wrong, and this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And the minute you know that person's specific story, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it becomes a little more difficult to mm-hmm. attack them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that will continue to be my experience, but it is an observation, one that I did not expect. I was really prepared, uh, best as I could be, uh, for some of that stuff. And I haven't received it yet. Now, this is not a call to arms to receive it. (laughs) I'm perfectly fine with not receiving Mm -hmm. the influx of misogyny. Um, And and, and that goes for not just misogyny from men directly, but also the misogyny that some women have internalized Mm -hmm. based on, you know, who's around them, how they've been raised, what they've internalized. with all well, that stuff. You're again, you're going to be activating whatever, right? By if they actually listen, if they listen. Sometimes if they're not listening, it, it it's also avoidance. Right? I don't want to connect with her story because maybe once I do connect with Jillian and her story, I might have to change uh, the way I feel or I might have to do something different. And some people right. aren't ready for that change because what that change does is it has a ripple effect. I have everything changes. And people like to stay to status quo when we're looking at systems, right? So a marriage family therapist looks at internal systems, government systems, right? Cultural systems, all the systems that impact, right? It's bi-directional. It's, you know, I'm impacted by my system, by the system, my internal system is impacted and my, my system impacts others, right? So it's impact, right? I just lost where I was. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, no, I think you're touching... I think you're touching on something very specific, which is the compartmentalization mm-hmm. of how we function. And I think that it is natural to be very black and white in our thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's I anxiety. Think, right. It, it, it solves it immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's either it, this yeah. or it's that. It tries to, yeah. This or that. I, yeah. I personally really love black and white thinking. It's, it's like really great for me. However, uh, I have not received any of my healing in that mm-hmm. area. Well, and that's therapy, right? You're you're going to be looking at the the processes that occur with the symptom. So if anxiety is a symptom that you're going through, or panic is a symptom, or a stress reaction is a symptom of something, we have to look at some of the strategies of thinking that occur. Mm -hmm. So confirmation bias, right? Black or white thinking, um, all or nothing thinking, catastrophizing, right? Mm -hmm. And so a therapist is going to be like, hmm, you seem to be catastrophizing, catastrophizing, I have all right? those. Check, check, well, check. But when we're talking about social issues, right, 
some of the catastrophization is a way to control it, yes, but also stay safe, right? Mm -hmm. So if I anticipate your reactions, if I say like by me coming out with my story, like whether I'm coming out as uh, uh, you know LGBT or I'm coming out as authentic, uh, my authentic story, I I have to like sometimes it, with those social issues, I actually have to anticipate: Am I safe? Mm-hmm. Right. So there might right. be a, a decision based on that safety, right, of being authentic. Right. People people have died for being authentic now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. And we see it. So, mm-hmm. you know, so there comes the anxiety. The anxiety is there to say, you know, hmm, like, let's negotiate this, right? So people, it's been 48 hours that you've delivered a story, but, you know, it's a lifetime of going through this process in order to come through it to be where you are right now to be able to disclose your story, right? So you're mm-hmm. activating things in people and they might be like, I've got a story. And then all of a sudden they start to retreat. They go back into the closet, right? Oh, 100%. And, yeah. And it might take a year or two, and I, or, three, I, or a lifetime for them to come back out. And I'll tell you right now, like, stay there. Like, I, like <laughs> I'm not, it's, it, it may not, it may not be the time. It may not be, well, and it, it may not be how you need to work your process. You, yeah. Right? Safer. And it may not, that may not be something you need to do on your journey of recovery, or you may not even need recovery. You may be like, not for me. No, I'm um, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, yeah. But the the black and white thinking it's mm-hmm. it's it's certainly what this podcast is named after. Gray, maybe mm-hmm. because for me the healing hasn't been anywhere in black and white. It hasn't been in compartmentalizing as much as I love compartmentalizing. As much as that makes me feel safe mm-hmm. and it makes me feel like I have short all the term. answers. It's very short term, and it has been in direct conflict of any healing I've gone of mm-hmm. any um, of any of my process to uh, be better with my emotional boundaries, to do the things that I was afraid to do, to take the steps in a way that made me healthier in my body, healthier in my mind, healthier in my spirit. All of that was in the gray. All of it was maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah. It's not black yeah. and white. It's a lot of different shades of gray. Well, it's um, at the cost of authenticity, right? So, you know, and, and I, I feel like that's a too great of a cost. Um, one of the things that I do is I, I, I kind of liken my job to like an emotional chiropractor, right? Mm-hmm. So I try to line people up. I, I don't have an agenda necessarily to like what they ought to believe, right? But if there's contradictions in, in their thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and action tendencies, like what I tend to do from that, my job is to go to call out those contradictions. Right. So so those that black or white thinking kept you safe, it kept kept you retreated. Right. But it was at the cost of authenticity at the cost of true connection to yourself. So you either had to like be anxious or you had to be depressed. Right. So transformation yeah. for you is in the gray because you don't have to live in depression or an anxious, hyper aroused state. Mm-hmm. Anxiety will be there, but we don't have to be panicked by it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, understanding relational safety which is like i how i feel safe in my body and how i feel safe with others is vital to to transformation so this this podcast is interesting because here you are disclosing your story to the masses right and you don't have much control over relational safety at this point right Mm -hmm. so people are going to react how they want to react right 
you took a deep breath. Oh yeah. I had to take a deep breath. Are you clenching clenching your jaw? (laughs) Uh, Yes, of course I'm clenching. I'm not (laughs) laughing at you. Uh, Oh, I know you're not. Uh, No, but you know, because this is the thing. Uh, I, I thought about this yesterday too, is that right now I'm getting a lot of love, a lot of love from people, mm-hmm. a lot of love from women. Uh, there's been two men that have reposted the, as of right now, mm-hmm. there's been two men that have reposted and I bring that up because there's only been two men. Uh, one of which is uh, in a same sex relationship. And that's important mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he actually, as long as I've known him, would not be in a position to impregnate a woman, yet he is interested in posting that. So really, I've had one heterosexual man repost the podcast. Um, and I'm mentioning that because it's telling. Or I might have two. Uh, the, my, my producer, Roderick, I'm sure has posted many times. I'm taking him out of the mix because he's part of production. But there's been one non-pod associated person yeah. who has reposted that's a male, that's a heterosexual male. And... I'm just going to say that and I'm going to let that sit. But what I do want to say about what you're saying, the deep breath is right now I'm getting a lot of love from women, but those are people who know me. So those Mm -hmm. are people, those are friends and family. Those are people who know me intimately or not, or have worked Mm -hmm. with me. So they already have a keenship of knowing who I am. The next Mm -hmm. phase, if it goes there, that if it gets passed on to people who don't know me, gets passed on to people who aren't in my circle or my circle of my circle, that will be telling. And the deep breath that I just took is for, the ana- uh, the anonymity mm-hmm. that people have in social settings and mm-hmm. how they feel they can relate to other people with their anonymous nature, how mm-hmm. t- hard we are on people we don't know, how yeah. much more credit we may give each other when yeah. we know them. So that was the deep breath. Thank you for well, noticing. You know, I, I, again, I, I can liken it to being, <laughs> that's you <know>. your job. <laughs> I can only liken it to like, like what it feels like to be retreated you know, being in a same-sex marriage myself, right? It's like every day it feels like you're coming out of the closet. Especially, you know, I look a certain way to people. So it's your husband. Oh, your husband is lucky. Or, oh, your husband must, right? And I'm like, every moment is a negotiation of whether I, right? Like my wife. Like, I also don't want to be like, my wife. (laughs) Yeah, right. It was like normalized. Like I didn't actually have to do that. I don't necessarily think that people are being microaggressive. But there is this negotiation of like looking over your shoulder and saying, hmm, if I am authentic in this moment, will I, one, lose something? Because that's the way the world is, with punishment and reward, right? Or will I get hurt, <laughs> right? Or do I have to just ride the discomfort of, their, of them going, oh, you know, whatever that is, that, that, that discomfort. I'm going to actually feel that. Right. Because yeah. as an empathetic person, I literally will feel your discomfort. Right. And my job in those moments is to discern whether it is um, worthy. Right. Of the yeah. disclosure. Right. And that's what every person has to go through who's, you know, a, of a mi- minority class. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're a person of color and you're in and amongst uh, situations and areas that are predominantly white well you can't um, hide there right you can't like, hide i can hide there. yeah you can hide yours i can uh-huh. hide mine um at, at, to a point where women so there's always like a bit but of you can't a, hide uh, being a woman but you can hide no, your you can't hide being a woman no you can hide your sexuality you can hide your personal experiences um but there is that always constant uh you know i think for 
people of color, and I'm obviously not a person of color, so I'm just guessing here that there is a bit of like this in in some of these moments, although they can't hide their identity of it. It's like, do I want to speak my truth in these moments or not? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to make things worse? Or is, am I going to am I in a situation that could be dangerous? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to get a label that is societally like the crazy person? I've heard many of my black female friends talk about, you know, they will self silence because they don't feel uh, uh, they don't feel comfortable speaking up because they don't want to be labeled the crazy, crazy black lady, mm-hmm. right? Or the crazy black woman, mm-hmm. because that is a thing in society, you know, that that's a label. And so I think there's anybody who's not, you know, the normal status quo of what is acceptable in general society, that would be say they belong to some kind of a minority class has to kind of go through these mini negotiations, which mm-hmm. the interesting thing is like, when I, I have been always very vocal about being pro-choice before I had my abortions, I was very mm-hmm. pro-choice. When I was a junior, senior in high school, I was doing reports on the RU486. So I've always been, uh, you know, very vocally pro-choice. Um, and when I'm really vocally pro-choice with people, I wonder if it ever crosses her mind. I wonder why she's so violently pro-choice uh maybe it's because i've had a couple abortions motherfuckers like Mm -hmm. listen and that's the thing is like we and that's the thing we see people who are really passionate about being pro-choice and i'm not saying just because you're violently pro-choice that you are have had abortions because i also know quite a few women that have reached out to me and say i haven't had this experience but you know how passionate i am about this issue because it does affect them and their freedoms right Mm -hmm. um but it is interesting that it's like, yeah, y'all not really putting two and two together here. But at the same time, there is that negotiation. I'm not going to tell them I've had abortions, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you how important it is to me. Mm-hmm. So this negotiation that so many people right now, there is no lack of women saying we want this right. Mm-hmm. But there is a huge self-silencing of women that have said, I have used this right. Mm-hmm. I have. I have benefited from this right. And mm-hmm. there's virtually no men saying mm-hmm. I have benefited from this right. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and there's not a judgment of it. I am not judging any woman who doesn't come forward. Trust me. I, I don't know why I had to do this. I just did. I, I would mm-hmm. I would have been more comfortable not probably. Well, I, th- um, I think right now we're normalizing why some people haven't come forward. Yeah. Right. One hundred. We're, we're validating that. We're not judging. I, I hope that people Absolutely don't feel that not. way because, you know, everybody has their own own um, own negotiation, internal, yeah. external negotiation. Right. Yeah. And um, just because you don't come forward in this doesn't mean that you're weak or doesn't mean that you're that you that you don't have purpose. It mm-hmm. it, it depends on your situation. But the point is, is that is that you're coming forward with this and whether somebody also shares their story, you are giving them a voice. You are helping them process their own uh, discomfort. And that's powerful. And that's enough. I hope you feel I that. Mean, that is enough. I, I feel like I'm doing something. I don't know if it's uh, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but it, it's something. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a couple things that I'm going to go way back because I just want people to know this about you because I think it's something that not a lot of people in your line of work talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were going through your schooling process, 
-hmm. the first thing I remember pretty early on in your schooling process, you called me and you were like, so upset, so (laughs) upset. And it, it's not the statistics because you were really upset about that because you had to go through all of your like generals. Oh, and that it was a lot. I'm of, still triggered I, by that. That's trauma. I felt like some kind of a life coach through the statistics yes. portion of your schooling, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first thing that you were so upset about was that you were like, Jillian, I'm not going to be able to help anyone. <laughs> They're going to have to help themselves. And you were really upset about this because this was your whole reason for doing this. You were like, I want to help people. 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 I want to have purpose. I want connection. I want to help people. And yeah. I remember one day you called me and you were like, oh, I'm not going to be able to help anyone. Yeah. It's not even going to be my well, job. I, this, I, I, it was like you, you, were get, you were all of a sudden realized that the job you applied for was not the job you wanted. <laughs> but you got over that. T- well, I did, you know, they drive it home. Right. And I think that, you know, people going into, into a psychology program, you're either, you're either an empath or you're, or you're a narcissist, right. <laughs> or you're both. Uh, in my case, Holy. it sounds like I was a little bit. Talk about dodging now. some bullets and landmines there. <laughs> well, God, God complex. Right. Right. You know, it, you know, if it's, yeah, I was always told if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Right. So that like, I, I sort of distorted that as an all or nothing concept, you know, mm-hmm. that it, I could, I could, you know, help people and, and fix them. So it turned into a, a, a codependency thing for me. Like this heightened responsibility that like, I could fix you. Um, what they just sort of, you know, uh, pop that bubble right? By saying you're not here to fix people, right? Because if I'm like anxious by you, right? If I'm anxious by your story, I'm telling you something is wrong with you, right? So when people actively give advice, they don't reflect, they don't normalize, they don't validate, they don't do like the three therapeutic interventions that are really all it is, right? Uh, But they, they seek to like change you. Mm-hmm. They, they're little they're telling you something's wrong and mm-hmm. what that does is it provokes more anxiety in the person right so so my job is to really just hold a space and yes i was like ah but what that meant was is like i can't do what i did so much serial fixing serial fixing in relationship right it, it, projecting all the discomfort i have within myself in fixing others I couldn't do it anymore. And so that was the the grief that you had, that you experienced when I called you was like, right. oh, fuck, I'm going to actually have to actually have to be real here. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I find and I think what you're doing is I think that some of the best therapists use themselves. Mm-hmm. They use themselves, meaning they like they use what they experience in the present moment with the person. Like if you saw how I went, you just you just exhale deeply but i also was like <laughs> right and so what i know you could feel was, it over the riverside program well i could i could i could i could feel the tension in my chest right mm-hmm. and so the only reason i knew that you did that was i felt the tension in my chest in that moment and i looked at you i really looked at you and i said you just you just did a giant exhalation Right. Mm-hmm. And for so the, for those people uh, listening, we're on a system that's kind of like, oh, a yeah. System. No, I have. A, so we can no, see I'm, each other. I'm psychic. 
but we're not in, yeah we're not in front of each other but we are yeah. communicating through a system that's kind of yeah. reminiscent of zoom it's called riverside that's not a plug or a sponsorship uh but that is the system we're using so she's seeing me uh but we're not in front of each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. go ahead sorry <laughs> just in case well, anyone that's was, it that's it uh, right it's it that, that well and and so i think for you it's like you're not fixing people here you're not you're not you're going to hold a boundary around fixing people because it's ineffective right you're helping people connect deeper to themselves yes um i'm a big fan now of holding space for people Mm -hmm. um i didn't know how to do that i learned that in 12 steps and obviously through your um, experience of your uh, education um because i also very much like you was a serial how can i fix it for people and not even how can I fix it how can I tell them what to do to fix it like I really love giving unsolicited advice and solicited advice so when people Wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause problems, right there like, oh great I'm gonna pause right I'm gonna pause you pause um oh, you're, you're in charge you. now go yeah no because I, I I disagree I disagree with that with you because okay. oh my god I'm starting to feel emotional you can't see it thank god um no but like I think that you were in my life one of the most important people during really hard times that you did hold space for me. And it was because you could hold space for me through some really hard relationships that I was able to get out. So I disagree. It was, you know, I I think that you have done that for people in such an impactful way. You did that for me. So anyway, that sounded really ugly. And I'm sure it looks really ugly. I love love us. I love us crying on the podcast. Um, so I, I hear you and I take that and I will, I take, the, I will take that um, as the compliment that it is. Um, but I would also like to mention it was probably because I didn't know what to do in those few moments. <laughs> <laughs> I had no option but to hold space because I was like, I don't know how to help. Well, um, but it works. No, I, but that humility, I'm so. Right? I'm so glad that that was your experience because I, there's, there's nothing worse than needing something from someone just to hold space for you. And they are trying to find solutions and they're trying to uh, distract or they're trying to like what I just did, make a joke. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's so like the holding of space is so important so that people can work their processes. And it's really hard to do because you will feel anxious and you will feel the desire to fix it for them or Mm -hmm. make a solution or take that feeling away because we all know what that feels like. Yeah. Take the burden, do something. It's hard to watch people who are stuck or in pain or depressed or anxious, you know, like when someone says, I'm just so depressed. Mm-hmm. what's the first thing you want to do well go to a therapist like call it help like how can I like just go for a walk like think positive thoughts smile yeah. be po- you know yeah. like it's like which, which makes sudden, people want to like, jump off a bridge the, right 100% it brings it, shame in right like there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's it's really hard to do and I also I just want to say I'm not um I'm not saying if someone is suicidal to not do anything there are things to do and numbers to call and people to talk to. But I am saying when people are giving their experience or sharing their true feelings, the hardest thing to do is hold space, but sometimes it's the best thing you can do. And um, that is literally, it looks like just not talking. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to do that, all it is is it's not talking. Mm -hmm. All it is is it's just saying, it's nodding, 
it's agreeing in their experience. It's validating their experience. And it's reflecting. You don't have to even right? agree with it. It's yes, reflecting. And it's just saying back, yeah, what has been mm-hmm. said in that way. Mm-hmm. There is um, one other thing in your schooling that came up that I recall. Yeah. This was the second very upsetting thing uh, next to the statistics. Um, and the uh, I can't help anybody was that you had to systematically go through your life with a fine tooth comb mm-hmm. of unprocessed events. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go through any of those with me right now. Mm-hmm. But I do recall every couple of days or weeks, I would get a call about like, in tears, usually, I didn't realize that this thing had happened. And it is terrible. And um, I would be like, Oh, my God, that is terrible. Why did you never tell me? <laughs> you know, like, I didn't even realize it. And so you had to kind of go through which I think anybody who is on the empathy spectrum and not on the narcissistic spectrum has to go through when they're going to help people in that way, like, you know, in a therapeutic way, self reflection, um, you so have to I know yourself. Wanna... <laughs> well, you would hope so. You know, you would hope that you're not going to ask anyone to do something that you haven't And you're done, not willing but... to do? <laughs> yes, but that happens. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I have some questions for you. For me? That, um, <laughs> that, yeah, here we go. Okay. Okay. Here's, yes, yes, we're going to do some questions. So these, are, these don't have to be long answers. Uh, here's a question. Okay. Uh, what do you think women or people who can get pregnant need more of, generally speaking, or in direct relation to abortion and reproductive care? God, the, the only word like that pops a one up word is, answer. it is support, right? Yeah. Yeah, holding space, support, support to be able to process, yeah. you know, and, and be able to negotiate their values. Not, not, not preachiness, not telling, you know, not telling people what to do, mm-hmm. right? People need support. They also need uh, systemic support. Obviously, like this goes into, dives into mm-hmm. policy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We need to feel uh, we need to feel taken care of. And that's not in a weak way. You know, I I could not raise my kids without my uh, supportive system. I could not Mm -hmm. be a therapist, but something else that is very important to me without a supportive system. Right. Mm -hmm. We we went through Jolene. We went through reproductive care. I had a supportive system. Mm -hmm. Right. well, you were dead set okay. on not having children. You were okay. very much like, I'm not having children. <laughs> Until because, I met my wife. And then you okay. changed your mind because you were like, I feel supported. Yeah. That's what yeah. you said. It, I feel supported. Yeah. Because she held a space for me to be able to have that possibility. That potential then. Right. There's a lot of was, women. It manifested in that space of support. What does that look like, though? Right. So people need to understand what that looks like for them. Right. It's not like, like just it's not like money it's it's like what does it look like to hold emotional support for me to be able to go through this process whether it be an abortion or whether it be uh raising kids or you know negotiating whether i have an abortion or i I decide to be a parent right because sex is like gonna happen it's just like emotion sex is gonna happen (laughs) we ain't fighting that yeah right and things happen when you have sex Yes, although one of the most famous talking points is like just don't have sex because that's okay. totally because those people yeah. that those people that are creating those talking points don't have sex, right? Makes well, sense. they're just more responsible than everybody else, apparently. Of course, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, yes, or they can hide it better. Um, 
I think, yeah, I think your point on support, I think, I think it's all across the board, right? Like you're saying, it's mm-hmm. like we need pregnant people need more support. Uh, people who want to have abortions need more support. People who want mm-hmm. any kind of reproductive care need support. People who want to raise kids need support. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women are getting abortions because they don't feel supported, not only mm-hmm. by their family situation, but also mm-hmm. from the system. There's no one yeah. to take care of you. There's no one to help you. There's no one to give no. you, you know, you don't have someone to caretake the kid. You can't take off work. You can't afford to have a mm-hmm. child, like all the things, right? Right. Like so a, policies need to change, okay. right? Not, not punishment policies, but policies need to change to help support people if we want to nurture that idea of raising more kids. What do you think often gets overlooked on the topic and in the discussion of abortion? What gets overlooked? Do you process. Think? You want to right back process. to process. Connection to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Whether you are getting activated by it because you feel that it's, you know, immoral or whatever your whatever whatever arises in you or you are activated because you're afraid of the judgment. Right, we you need to attend to process in order to move through it. Also, grief. How grief? We we don't grief. like grief. Yeah, grief is a big. Oh problem. no, we don't deal with it at all. No. Oh my God, that's no a whole one. podcast. That's, that's a, a whole, whole series. Podcast. We should do a whole podcast. On it's grief. a whole series. It's like a yeah. whole series of podcasts. Uh-huh. Um, how do you think we can de- destigmatize abortion or re- reproductive care? Talk in general. <laughs> Talk. talk, talk, right? Talk, sing songs. Actually, about talk. Abortion. <laughs> talk, sing songs, talk. Yeah, okay. and we also have to ride the discomfort, right, of the stigma. You have to be able to, you, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's a it's a cultural conditioning, right? So we have to ride discomfort. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question. Um, since uh the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, a.k.a. the Dobbs mm-hmm. decision. Have you noticed or what kind of conversations or discussions are being kind of made around mental health professionals? I mean, is it just like this? Oh, fuck. You know, like, is it just like this? Oh, my God, this is going to be. Or is it like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, what is has there been? I mean, I know everyone. Listen, I know every woman when this came down had a thing about it. Like every woman had a moment of just like shock, rage, uh, you know, uh, powerlessness, you know, like so many really big emotions. And I know a lot of doctors or, or glee of- or like, in, you know, like, thank God. Right. Like there are euphoria. That- yeah. Euphoria. <laughs> oh my God. Like I can't even I mean, say that. In my this laughter context. is, is a judgment, right? Like, but again, we have to speak to that too. Yes, some women were very excited to n- limit other women's freedom. Yes, and that's an, yeah. that's an important process. So and we why can't just is stay that? in our bubble? Well, right. So we can't just stay in our. And bubble. why is that? Yes. Well, okay. it's interesting, isn't it? Okay, so look, a lot of feelings. Okay, let's go back to your question. Mental yeah. health professionals hold a boundary, right? We hold a boundary from. <sighs> Based on our opinion of something, what is activated in us versus how to help our clients, right? Many mental health professionals um, are in a bubble, right? I am kind of in a bubble of private practice. I do not, uh, although I seek consultation, and although we've had conversations, uh, the the people around me who are also providers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and most of those are like, oh, oh God, dread, you know, because... Mm-hmm 
because we understand the impact. Right. Right. And what is uh, that impact? Like trauma. what's the, what is trauma? The right. Because trauma and, and disorientation and right. Depression and more anxiety and more symptoms. It's not transformation, right? We're not, you know, it's, it's like a way to control something. And our job is to help people move through stuff, right? So this is just another pile of shit on top of all the other shit that we've gone through, like a pandemic and, you know, like all the things, right? All people's individual histories. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think some of the issues with my field is that we don't necessarily sit at the table. Mm-hmm. Right. And advocate for um, policies as we should. I think there is also a, a boundary because, you know, uh, it is a lot to hold space. Right. And you're holding space mm-hmm. for people daily. And so that's just another another thing to hold space for. Right. And so, like, we have to change that culture. I, I, I feel like there's not enough of it. And so we don't have enough. Um, people who are in the field speaking, uh, using using science as a way to um, influence policy. So I do think there's a problem there, right. um, but I also know that there's burnout. So, yes, yeah. Well, and I'll just say on the last tip of that, and then we'll wrap it up. That um, with both of my abortions, I did not have as much uh, as as many obstacles as some women do. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my process of getting the abortion was very easy, um, mm-hmm. but all of my feelings and circumstances and situations around it were difficult. But I can assure you, I still would have gotten my abortions mm-hmm. if you made me travel state lines, if you made me take out a loan, if you made me ask people for money, if you made me have to beg, borrow, steal, I would have still gotten them. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. I would have had was more trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just would have compounded the trauma. And I will leave it at that. Jada, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for giving your expertise. And it is expertise. Um, And I will find a way for people to find your uh, social media if they want to follow you. I know you're not really big on social media, Uh, but just in case uh, they want to look you up. (laughs) Yeah, look, maybe they want to look you up. I'm sure this won't be the last time I have you on the pod if if I continue to go forward with the pod. I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm sure it won't be the last time. And thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. Thank you. I always feel better after talking to Jada. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I'm going to have Jada on Gray Maybe again to share more of her information and expertise specifically on trauma. If you have any questions you'd like me to ask her, anonymous or otherwise, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. If you're feeling suicidal or in crisis, text or call 988. I will add the National Institute of Mental Health link in the program notes, NIMH. I will also add in the show notes Jada's Instagram account at Jada Therapy, J 
A-A-Y-D-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, and her website, www.jadatherapy.com, www.jaydatherapy.com. If you want to know more about PASS, post-abortion stress syndrome, or would like to visit a forum on post-abortion conversation and or support, please visit www.afterabortion.com, also included in the show notes. I will also include links in the show notes to the DSM-5 website and the DSM-5 5th edition, as well as Psychology Today. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you were able to find something relatable in today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is also a social experiment to see if in telling my story and the stories of others, I can embolden listeners to share their stories. If you'd like me to read your abortion story, anonymous or otherwise, on this podcast, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com, G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Reminder, there is a very important election coming up November 8th, 2022. Please have a voting plan, know the rules and regulations of your state, and vote like your freedom depends on it. Because now, more than ever, it does. For more information on voting in your state, go to vote.org. Thank you to everyone who helped make this Gray Maybe podcast happen. Producer and editor Roderick Barge. Cover photo by Jose Perez. Music licensed by Pixabay. Special counsel Jada Ellingham and Roderick Barge. Special shout out to supporter Patty Olgain. If you'd like to support this podcast, please rate, share, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, bye for now.